One question I get asked a lot is, Graham, what would you do differently if you had to start your whole online business, your whole entrepreneurial journey all over again? I love the question because I certainly know a lot more now, 14 years later than I did back in 2009 during the middle of the Great Recession when I was forced into entrepreneurship after losing two jobs in 10 months. So uh, it's a it's a fun question, but it's also a weird question. Would you really go back in time and change things, right? The whole butterfly effect, you go change that one thing, it would really have these ripple effects that would drastically change everything else in your life. I don't know. There's some magic about the struggle and about groping through the dark and figuring things out. But at the same time, you do gain wisdom. And that is the whole purpose of this show and every piece of content I put out is I'm taking what I've learned, good and bad, and I'm trying to give it to you so that you can be at your stage of the journey, wherever you are, and avoid some of the mistakes I've made and shortcut the process a little faster than I did. You're gonna have your own journey. It's gonna be different than mine, but I'm trying to basically be the time machine, go back in time for you on your journey. So we'll play that game with myself. What would I tell Graham 14 years ago to do differently at the beginning of his entrepreneurial journey? That's what today's episode is all about. Let's discuss. Welcome back to The Graham Cochran Show, where each week I'm breaking down the habits, mindsets, and strategies to help you build a highly profitable and life-giving business. I'm your host, Graham Cochran, pumped to hang out with you today. I hope you're doing well. It is an honor to have some of your time today. So we'll do a little history lesson. Um, I'll get you caught up to speed. And then I have four things. When I started to brainstorm for this episode, I had four things that I think I would do differently if I had to start all over again. Uh, And so take you back. It's 2009. My wife and I, she's very pregnant at the time, moved from Virginia to Tampa, Florida to help a buddy of ours start a new church down here. And I volunteered to come down and be the the guy that led the band, do the music. And we all got jobs, moved down here, and it was a volunteer gig. I mean, we were ministering to college students who were broke. So there's no money in the church. None of us could get paid from the church. So we all had different jobs, but we really cared about Uh, the next generation, and we wanted to pour into them. So that was what we were doing a lot on the weekends. Got a job, lost that job. It was the second one I lost that year. I lost one in Virginia, and then I lost the one down here in Florida. And we had just bought a house. We had just given birth to our first daughter, Chloe, uh, and we didn't know anybody here other than the people we came to start the church with. And we're in the middle of a global recession. I mean, it was it was the worst recession since the Great Depression of the 1920s. So uh, it was a very scary time. If you were a young adult back then, um, and I know some of you are younger, some of you are older, but if you were a young adult and aware, like people were scared out of their minds. Like they're like, this is it. Like our society is never going to recover from this. I mean, it was crazy. And so that's already that storm cloud hanging over um, you in that season. And then I'm like, okay, I lost my job. What do I do? And and the short of it is, is I knew for a fact I didn't want to go back to work for somebody else. I never wanted to work for somebody else. I wanted to be a musician my whole life. And so I was like, in this interesting fork in the road of, well, it's not fun to lose your job. It's not fun to have to apply for food stamps and get assistance from the government for 18 months. It's not fun to be broke. It's not fun to be stressed, but you didn't like your job either. It wasn't fun to work for a company you didn't really care for or do work you didn't believe in. So here's your chance, Graham. Do you want to do something different? 
And that's what I viewed it as. I viewed it as, well, maybe the Lord has something for me. Maybe God is opening up an opportunity, a scary opportunity, to try something different. Is there a way I could make income in an alternative way? And that's what sort of began this entrepreneurial journey. Originally, I thought I would be doing freelance work. I thought I'd be recording albums for bands because I had that as a background. I, I went to school for an audio engineering and I, I was a musician and I, I did this on the side for, for money, but it was never like I needed to survive off of that income. So there was no pressure. It was just extra money that we used probably to save up for a down payment on our house. And all of a sudden I thought, well, maybe this is what God wants. This is my opportunity to turn that into a full-time income. So I went hard after that. And in the process, I started a blog and a YouTube channel in 2009, early 2010, blog in, in October of 09, and I, I, my first YouTube video was posted in January of 2010. Uh, and the idea was generate some content. I mean, this is very forward thinking. When I look back, I don't know even why I had this idea. I really believe it was a Holy Spirit download, but I was like, I don't know anybody in Tampa. I'm new here. As I try to get to know people and get you know, leads here and get work here, I could also do remote work. So I could double my chances of getting work by putting something out there on the internet. And I thought the best way I could do that would be to, to put some blog posts and create some videos talking about and showing what I'm doing in my home recording studio for what few clients I did have and my own music um, to sort of prove to people that I was legit, that I could make records. And then I would have like a link to, hey, if you want to work with me, here are my packages, here's what I could do for you, blah, blah, blah. That was how I started what became the recording revolution, my very first online business, which became a million-dollar-year business and, and just changed my entire life and got me into business coaching and all the stuff I'm doing now. My first book it talks about that story, and that's I've been using that business model for 14 years. So if you look back, like, it's a success. It's a raving success, like... My life has been changed in a million different ways. And now I'm humbled that people tune into the show. They buy my courses. They're in my community. They, they're in my, when I have my mastermind open, they, they, I, they have to hire me one-on-one -on -one for coaching. They pay me a lot of money to, to teach them how to do a version of what I've done for myself in two different businesses and two different niches to help them have success online. It's humbling because they view me now as an expert in this space, but I, I was just stumbling through the dark for 14 years. I mean, it, it had success before the 14-year mark, but it's been a journey of figuring things out. And a lot of things worked out. A lot of things didn't work out too. And a lot of things I've learned, I, I struggle, maybe you don't, but maybe you do. I struggle with something called fear, and I have for years. Well, I'm afraid if I do this, what if this happens? I'm afraid if I don't do this, what if I miss out on this, right? These are fears where you're projecting into the future what might happen. Um, and so I had fears along the way, which I think one of my biggest regrets is that I sometimes hesitated to take action on things that I intuitively knew I probably should, but I had no proof. This is why it's called faith. You have a sense that you're supposed to do something and you hesitate a little too much. Because you don't have all the facts. And if you wait around for all the facts, you won't have them. So I know that's not one of the things I would do differently necessarily. That's sort of a category that these things might fall under. But I know for a fact that a lot of times I hesitated. And there were some probably really cool opportunities along the way. doesn't matter at this point. It is what it is. But as I think back to my story, um, and I look at what I've learned now and what I'm continuing to learn, four things stand out to me that I would for sure do differently. And I hope that one of these 
is a light bulb moment for you and really resonates for wherever you are in your journey. Sound good? All right, number one, I would seek out good mentors a lot earlier. And by a good mentor, I mean someone who is where I want to be and I would pay them. And if I didn't have money, I would beg, right, to, to learn from them. Um, I have a personality that's very introverted and I'm very happy to figure things out on my own, research, read, watch, learn. I'll, I'll kind of figure it out. Since getting mentors and coaches, I've learned that that is the absolute fastest way to shortcut any process. It's kind of obvious. Really, you've got the sort of apprenticeship model, which really is a good picture of what mentorship is, is like you go, like if I wanted to be um, like a welder, I would go find someone who's like a master welder who's been doing that for years and say, can I be your apprentice, right? Teach me everything you know about being a welder. That's the fastest way. Instead of reading a book about welding, I could just go work with a welder, right? Especially if they're doing it at at a high level or getting paid what I want to get paid. This is obvious if you think about it. Um, Luke Skywalker didn't read a book about how to become a Jedi Knight. He went and worked with Yoda, right? And trained with Yoda. So go work with a person who's done the thing. This is very important because let me define mentorship. You can, you can be mentored from afar by books. Behind me, if you're watching on YouTube, I've got a ton of books. And most of those people I've never met in person, but they've all mentored me, okay? They've all mentored me. You want to learn from people who are successful. So if you're going to read a book, read a book from someone who's done the thing you want to do and read tons of those books. The next level up from a book would be a course. If that person has taught a course, go buy their course, right? For crying out loud, like that's, that's how I dipped my toes into the waters of mentorship. I remember the first $2,000 I spent on a course. I was like, oh my gosh, I couldn't even trust that that was gonna be worth it. So I used the payment plan. Within one month of the course, I instantly implemented, implemented one idea from the course that made me $15,000 in my latest launch. And I was like, oh my gosh, why was I ever afraid of spending $2,000 on a course? This is stupid. It was way worth it. But I had to dip my toes into the water. So you got a, you got a book is level mentorship level one. You have a video course is mentorship level two, right? Beyond that, it's how can I actually get the coaching from the person like in real time, right? Instead of asynchronously, right? How can I get coaching from them? And and I think it, it took me years till I felt like, I think I'm ready now for a mentor. I think people are ready for a mentor from day one. Now, you may not be able to afford the mentor you want necessarily, or you may not be able to get a hold of the mentor you want. Um, but there's somebody you're going to have multiple mentors. That's the other thing to think about. It's not just one person that's the only mentor you'll ever have. You're going to have mentors at different seasons and in different areas that you need mentorship in, right? So the key is look at where you are in your business and life and say, what do I need the most breakthrough in right now? What do I need the most help with right now? What area is that? And can I go find someone who's done that before or is doing that at a high level? And I'll give you one step further in terms of criteria. That's like baseline criteria. Have they done what I want to do before? And are they doing that at a high level? But the really important criteria underneath that, for me at least, is do they have high character? So for example, there are people who are billionaires, millionaires. They're eight-figure, nine-figure online entrepreneurs. I could go hire them with enough money, And if I go through their application process to mentor me, but they have failed marriages, they're not in a healthy relationship with their kids. This is a problem. Like if 
you're successful in business, but you're not successful at home, you're not a success. And so I, to me at least, because I don't want to just make money. I want to grow my business, but I really want to grow my life and my family and my relationships. I, if I'm projecting myself 30 years down the road, I want to still be married to Shay. I want to still have healthy relationships with my then adult kids. You understand? So character is important to me as well as their capacity and their and their credentials and their capability. So at the end of the day, the ultimate cheat sheet is a good coach or mentor. This is the other problem though, is that a lot of times people hire a coach who looks fancy online um, or maybe just somebody recommended, but if you haven't looked up what they've done and researched them and listened to podcasts, gotten a sense of who they are, what they've accomplished, they might be known for a thing or they might have a big social media following, but are they really good at what it is you want to learn? Just really do your homework on the coach before you hire the coach or the mentor or you'll get disappointed sometimes. It's a swing and a miss. And so there is a possibility that a mentor could be brilliant, has done everything you want to do, but she's just, you and her don't fit. This is not fit relationally. That's fine too. There's nothing on them that they've done wrong. It's not that they're not a legit coach or mentor, but sometimes you just don't get along or connect with a coach or a mentor and that's fine. So that's not the right person long-term. But do your research, get a good mentor. It's the fastest shortcut, absolutely fastest shortcut. Um, there's, it's the superpower. And if you look at the really successful people in the world, you're gonna see that as a common thread. It's like, oh, well, I... I hired so-and-so, I started working with so-and-so early on and they were my mentor. And it's just like, wow, that's like the ultimate cheat sheet and cheat code. So, so that's what I would have done sooner because I probably didn't hire my first coach. I got mentorship from courses four, three or four years into my business. That's how pathetic I was. It took me three or four years to even know that there were courses out there. That's how clueless I was. And I probably didn't hire my first like coach until six or seven years into my business, um, way too late. I would have grown faster if I hired a mentor sooner. Number two thing I would have done differently is I would have joined a community sooner. You can see the parallels here. I'm a lone wolf typically. Um, I don't really want to be your friend in the community. I don't really want lots of like, if I go deep down, I probably do. But like in my head, that's what I was telling myself. I was like, I don't have time to be in a community, I'm trying to grow a business. You ever felt that? Like, I don't have time to chat with all these people. I just, I just want the answer so I can grow my business. Um, I am learning 14 years into my business journey just how powerful a community is. It has to be the right community. You need to be in a community where you are not the biggest player in the community. If you are the biggest fish in the pond, you need to find a much bigger pond. Now, you don't have to be the smallest fish in the pond to get value. There are people that can be at your peer level that are right where you are that can give you tremendous insights because they are very high on a certain skill or an area or piece of software or technique or trend or something or mindset that you aren't, even if your business is at the same level and you can help each other. This is why you know, communities like I, my six-figure coaching community exists for this reason. It's to, we're all helping each other scale to six and multiple multiple six figures in our online businesses. Like nobody's really a truly beginner there. I mean, the criteria is you have to at least launch the digital product, but from there you've got a wide variety of people who are scaling and people who are already doing six figures and they're just helping each other out. So having a community like that, it can be a, a, a private paid community like my six-figure coaching community 
or join a mastermind, which is very similar, but generally a smaller group of people, anywhere from 12 to 50 generally is what most masterminds are. Um, some are larger, but where you really get to know people and you're each in the group for a reason. You probably bring a skill set or an experience or a, a, a niche that you're in that complements the other people in the group. And you truly have what Napoleon Hill coined as the mastermind principle, right? Where you've got multiple minds coming together, creating one giant mega mastermind because we're pulling together our ideas, our schemas, our backgrounds, our worldviews, and our skills and talents, and almost even more importantly, but more invisible, our energy. Like when you're in a room with people, even if it's a virtual room, our collective consciousness and energy spark some kind of creativity that you just do not get isolated. You just don't get the same thing. And you know that when you've walked into a room with other brilliant people doing really cool things and you just get this like, you're on a high and you're like, why am I getting great ideas? Why am I feeling motivated? Why am I feeling like all my fears dissipating? If you went to a conference where there's like a lot of high energy and a lot of really sharp people who are committed, who are ready to go, like you get that same feeling there. Um, I know I was at the Kajabi Hero Live event in Austin back in May and so many brilliant people in, in the room there. Um, and I, I was speaking on the VIP stage on day one and that was even a smaller group before everybody else showed up later that night. And even in that group, just that group alone of three, 400 people, it's like so much collective energy and brilliance in that room that when I was off stage and I was just talking to people and, and, and getting to know their stories, like you just got fired up. Like I was like, let's freaking go. Let's go build a million businesses. Let's go, let's go change the world. And that's, that's the mastermind principle. So I, it took me, let's see, I, I started my business in 2009. Uh, the first real community I joined was 2014 maybe. So like five years later, sad. I would have joined a community much sooner because again, much like a good mentor, a powerful community, a peer group where you're not the biggest fish in the pond is a cheat code. It's a cheat code to growth. And what you'll find when you're in a good community is you're going to collaborate with these people as well. You're going to hire these people and they're going to hire you. You're going to, you're going to be introduced to other people because they know a person who knows a person like relationships are everything. And this is really hard for my, my um, introverted friends. I'm one of them. It is hard to admit that relationships and knowing people and networking in the best sense of the word, like creating a network and building a network, uh, it's hard to admit that that is the most powerful thing you could possibly have. But it really, really is. I, I envy my extroverted friends who are naturally good networkers because that is, a, that is a superpower that will benefit them. So if you find that you're not quite that naturally networking oriented, um, just step out of your comfort zone a little bit. It's worth it. If no one knows who you are, no one's gonna know who you are. Does this make sense? Um, joining at least one community and not lurking, but contributing being generous, giving, helping. Other people will help you as well once you do that, but then you'll be known, you'll be seen, um, and there'll be reciprocity there, and then soon you'll build friendships and connections. And every community I've been in, I've met somebody who's led to a thing, who's led to another thing, who's led to a person, who's led to a connection, who's led me to a podcast, who's led me to uh, an opportunity. I mean, if I just look at, let's say, uh, my first book, How to Get Paid for What You Know, the first time I was an author, and one of the things you need, I'm, I'm working with a major publisher and they're like, we need endorsements. Those are like the, you know, if 
Graham Cochran says like, oh, Jimmy's book is the best book ever. Like, this is amazing. Like, you want people who their name carries some weight, hopefully, and they say something nice about your book or about you, and you've got it on the back of the book or inside the book or whatever. Those are called blurbs or endorsements. And um, I was like, man, how do I get some major players to endorse my book? Well, the people that I wanted to endorse my book, I didn't know them personally, but I knew a person who knew that person through mentors that I'd hired, communities I'd been a part of. So I was in a mastermind with a group of entrepreneurs and the guy that ran that mastermind, uh, he knew uh, John Acuff. And I was like, I would love to connect with John Acuff, have him on the podcast, and then eventually asked him to, re- to endorse my book, and he did. Uh, a mentor of mine um, was really good friends with Michael Hyatt. And Michael Hyatt's been a hero of mine. He connected with Michael Hyatt. And he ended up endorsing the book. I mean, it's things like that. The mentors you hire and the communities you join don't just benefit you and your business directly in terms of the wisdom and the growth that you need. It's the connections that they offer you and you'll be able to offer your own connections as well. And believe me, you will have them if you don't have them already that become shortcuts and cheat codes. So I would have done all that sooner. I'm like, guys, why did I wait so long? Why was I so isolated for so long? I probably missed out on so much growth so much faster. Hey, we'll get back to the episode in just a moment, but I wanted to give you a gift for hanging out with me in today's episode. I wanna give you access to a free on-demand video training to teach you how to build your first $1,000 of passive income in just 30 minutes a day. This workshop is packed with not only the things you need to create passive income, but the order in which you need to create them, how they tie together, templates you can use for swipe copy, scripts you can use, the exact tools that are both free and cheap that you can implement and use today, including how to figure out what your profitable idea is if you haven't launched your business. I cover all of this. I pull back the curtain on my business model that I'm using right now while you're enjoying this episode and how I'm generating a million dollars a year plus in two businesses. It's all inside of this workshop and it's free. I want you to watch it because it is the business model I believe in. If you like what you'll see in this workshop, then you will know that what I'm teaching you has got substance and it's a good fit for you. So watch it, take notes and apply it and you can build an online passive income business off of a free video training. Just go to grahamcochran.com slash workshop. That's grahamcochran.com slash workshop. Now back to the episode. Number three thing I would do differently if I had to start over, I would hire sooner. Okay. I've talked about this numerous times when I've talked about delegation. I've taught this inside of my community and inside of my courses, but the very first hire I had was someone to be a customer service or customer support person, basically get in my inbox and manage all the refund requests, membership cancellation requests, didn't get my download, can't log into my backend, question about products, et cetera. I was getting inundated with email. The recording revolution was growing. I was spending about three hours a day in my email doing customer support stuff. And I was like, this is crazy. And so this was 2013. So this was going into my fourth year. I was like three or four years into business before I hired a buddy of mine. I was like, look, can I just pay you 10 hours a week, remote work? You can do it while you watch Netflix at night. I don't care. Just get in there couple hours a day, Monday through Friday, and just take care of all my, my customer requests and take care of my inbox and clean up my inbox. And that was such a big leap for me. I was like so scared. I was like, nobody can check my email. This is impossible. He's going to miss something. He's going to screw something up. My business is going to fall apart. Um, it was the dumbest fear ever. But it's a natural one if you've never hired somebody. Delegating was a big 
big block for me. Once I saw how life-giving it was to hire someone, and it wasn't a full-time hire, right? It was a small 10-hour-a-week position, and it changed my life. It gave me my freedom and my time back, my mind back, and it showed me the power of having a couple of contractors on your team that can just offload the stuff you just are getting bogged down in. Um, I, if I had known how, how relatively painless it was to just hire somebody and train them up and, and suffer through the, the stumbling blocks for a couple of weeks, I would have hired a lot sooner, uh, and that would have freed me up a lot. I missed out on some family vacations in the early years where I was bringing my laptop because I had to and tough conversations with my wife etc etc so i would have hired a lot sooner even and i tell i tell my students this look you might even be part-time let's say you're making three thousand dollars a month in your business which for some people might feel like full-time but let's say like that's not enough let's say you need six thousand dollars a month to cover all your bills and so you can't like quit your job yet but you're making three thousand a month um you still have money to hire like you could still spend $500 a month on a video editor or something. So you don't have to do that or somebody to make your thumbnails or upload your content. Like just test the waters with a little bit amount of money, cap the hours, cap the rate and hire someone to do something to offload something off your plate. So you can stay focused on your zone of genius to do the work that really moves the needle and really to prove to yourself that hiring is not that big of a deal. It doesn't have to be a big hire. You never have to have full-time employees, but just one little hire, even in a part-time position can be transformative, and it's really going to free you up to push the ball down the field and grow your business and serve people, which is what we're here to do. And fourth and final thing I'd do differently if I had to start over, this is just me, but I would be more experimental. I am not your experimenter. I was in the early days when I wasn't making money. I was like, well, I'll try anything, right? I did sponsored posts. I did banner ads. I did all kinds of stuff to make money. My strength is I am very disciplined and consistent. I find something that works, I double down, triple down, quadruple down, head is down, I do the thing. That is a strength of mine. And I've built two businesses, uh, two seven-figure businesses off the backs of that strength. The shadow side to that strength I have found is that I am very rigid and I don't um, naturally find myself experimenting anymore because I don't want to mess with the formula, everything's working. And so I'm a little uptight and a little rigid. And I think Every time I have experimented with something new, it's, I mentioned the fear earlier on in the episode, I, I've just, it's taken me a long time to go, okay, we could try that, you know? And then when I have, eight times out of 10, it's been a positive change. Now that we've had experiments flop. I mean, that's every business does. But what I've learned is that those flops were not catastrophic. They were literally not a big deal. You know, Tim Ferriss does a great TED talk about this. And he, he, he talks about it in his book, The 4-Hour Workweek as well, I believe, but it's called a, a term he's calling fear setting. So instead of goal setting, it's fear setting. You look at your fears and you map them out on paper like, okay, this is my fear. I'm afraid that if I do X in my business and try this new thing, experiment this new thing, you know, what, what's the fear, Graham? Well, um, let me write it out. And you, you say, okay, well, I think everything's going to fall apart. Well, what does that mean? Well, X, Y, and Z. Well, how realistic is that? You know, what are the chances of that actually happening? And I'm sure there's chances, but how, how high are those chances? And then what's the worst, 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 worst case? If this really, really went south, what would that look like? And so you see that on paper. You're like, okay, I guess that's bad. Sometimes it's not as bad as you think. But then even if it is bad, you can ask yourself how irreversible or how reversible is this, you know, bad outcome? And then you're like, well, if I, if I needed to reverse it, I could do X, Y, and Z. And you sort of like just get your fears out there in this very logical, rational, linear fashion like, like you would with goal setting. It's only your fear setting. And, it, and the process is that when you see it, you realize, wow, 
those fears, as much as they are valid, like the negative outcomes of those fears aren't even that catastrophic as I thought they were. And so that was helpful to see. So I would say like eight out of 10 of our experiments have been positive. Some have been really, really positive. Some have been like nominally positive. And then the, the two to three out of 10 that did not work or actually hurt the business were not catastrophic, interestingly enough. For example, I made a change in my funnel a couple of years ago. Uh, and I implemented a new strategy in my funnel. Everyone was talking about the strategy, so I implemented it, tried it, ran it for a couple of months, and revenue dropped, like, sizably for two months after implementing that strategy. I was like, oh, crap. So I, I, I reversed that, went back to the way it was, and revenue picked back up. And while that was disappointing, it was not catastrophic, and I learned something that that strategy, at least in that way and at that time, didn't work for me. So I have learned to be more experimental. I am learning to be more experimental. But I think the people that are more experimental earlier and more often win because they're, they're just not as rigid as me. Now, there's a shadow side to being experimental. And if you're the type of person that's very experimental, and you're like, man, I don't struggle with that at all you probably are aware of the shadow side of trying all the things all the time. And that is that you're not consistently doing any one thing. And so you never really gain traction. And so this is the, the fun thing about being a human, right? Is that we're just a big old mixed bag and we have strengths. God has given us strengths, but it's not strengths full stop. It's like strengths that have the other side or the weakness that goes along with it. Two sides of a coin. Everything has two sides, right? Uh, and so Acknowledging and knowing your strengths is, is powerful and helpful, but just acknowledge the, the shadow side or the dark side or the weakness of that strength. Uh, and for me, since I'm very disciplined and, and consistent, my weak side is I'm not as experimental as I need to be, I think, to have genuine innovation, creativity, and growth in my business. And maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you're too experimental and you need a little bit more consistency and discipline. It's fine. We're, we're, we're all a mixed bag. So those are the four things that I would do differently. They're not tactical. And this is what I want to land on is um, I don't want you to think about your business as a bunch of tactics or a series of tactics that you implemented. Okay. That's not, that's not how life works. It's not what business is all about. Yes, there are tactics. Yes, there are strategies, but strategy is above tactics. And what's above strategy is wisdom. So what I want you to take away from this episode, from any video or piece of content or podcast episode I do, ultimately is wisdom. I want you to have that highest level of knowledge, which is wisdom, okay? I want you to have wisdom. Wisdom will allow you to figure out a strategy and then figure out a tactic for anything at any point. If all you learn are tactics, you're gonna be helpless, right? It's like you need to learn how to think for yourself. The tactic is just doing the thing. It's not knowing how to think and problem solve and pivot and change. So if you notice, the four things I would do differently weren't tactical, really. They were wisdom, right? Won't go it alone. Mentorship, community. You go faster alone, they say you go farther together. So I wouldn't go it alone. So I would get more mentorship and community sooner because not only does that give me strategies and tactics? It gives me more wisdom because I'm getting the collective wisdom of the coaches or the mentors who've gone before me and then the collective wisdom of the community or group or mastermind that I'm a part of so that I have everybody's wisdom implanted in my brain. So you get more wisdom going that way. So those are wisdom plays. Hiring sooner, although it sounds like a tactic, again, goes back to really wisdom. It's a wisdom play. I was not wise in thinking that I not only could go it on my own, I could do everything on my own, or that even if I could, I should do everything on my own. 
I didn't realize the wisdom of staying in your lane and doing only the things that really you should be or enjoy doing. Um, and so the hiring sooner, who you hire, how you hire, how much you hire, those are all tactics, the strategies, but the wisdom is like, get help. Get other people's wisdom, get help, right? And then the wisdom of being more experimental. Don't be so rigid. Um, I love the concept of, I think it's Florence, um, Shen, I'm blanking on her last name. She talks about the law of non-resistance. And, and she talks about this concept of water, right? Being the most powerful, powerful thing on earth. Like water will find a way. And the reason why water will find a way and get inside your house or inside your car, wear down a rock or a mountain is because water is non-resistant. It's not rigid. It'll bend around whatever it needs to bend around. It's flexible. It's fluid. There's wisdom in non-resistance. There's wisdom in fluidity at times. There's wisdom in being flexible. There's wisdom in being nimble so that you can pivot because business is a game of, of pivoting. It's a game of having things thrown at you that you weren't expecting. And I've slowly learned to be more non-resistant, more experimental, more fluid in my business than before. It's taken me a while, but I've learned it. and I'm eventually getting there. So those are the four things I would do differently. And again, they're all from a level of wisdom plays, not tactical place. So question goes back to you. What would you do differently? Maybe you started last week. You still could do something differently. What's the number one thing you think you would do differently if you had to start all over in your business, knowing what you know now and having experienced what you've experienced? Let it, you know in a comment below if you're watching on YouTube and if you're listening to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Just stop for a moment and think out loud. What would you do differently? And just use that as a thought experiment to think about how you could apply that to what you're doing next. What lesson can you relearn from something you probably have already learned, but maybe you'd never stop to reflect on that might be something you could bring into this next season of business. I hope that was helpful for you. Thanks as always for spending some of your day with me. It is a true honor and privilege to have some of your time. It's the most valuable thing you have. I hope you have an incredible rest of your day and I'll see you on another episode real soon. <laughs>